Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1, the book of Acts chapter 1, and then turn over with me to the book of Acts chapter 20. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt so strongly about something that you just had to do it? I mean, you felt that strongly about it, no matter how much it cost, no matter what the consequences were, you knew that you just had to do this. And it, it wasn't just a responsibility. It, it wasn't just an obligation. There was something deep down inside you that was moving you. It, it seemed to be forcing you. It seemed to be compelling you to do what you felt like you needed to do. Well, that's what we've been talking about the last three weeks. We've been talking about those things that that we as Christ followers are compelled or should be compelled to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is, is talking to the church at Corinth, and he's talking to them about a variety of subjects in that chapter. He begins by talking about the new bodies that we are going to one day receive. The bodies that we presently have aren't the bodies that we're going to have for all eternity. And Paul was talking about that. And he reminds the people, in light of this, don't get too comfortable here in this world. This world is not your home. And in light of this, he tells us that, that we should live our lives to please God. In light of the fact that we have something to look forward to, we should live our lives to please God. And then he tells us that we also need to understand that there is a judgment that is going to come. And each and every person is going to stand before that judgment. And, and everybody, every one of us is going to give an account of our lives before God. And then Paul says this. He says, in light of this... We should be working hard to persuade others. In light of the fact that, that one day everyone is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of their life, you and I should work hard to persuade others, everyone, to return to Christ. But when he gets to verse 14... It says if he changes gears in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, because as you're reading this chapter, you will have discovered or you would have thought from this point that, that the thing that compels us, the thing that, that urges us to tell people about Jesus is the judgment that is to come. And yet in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 5, Paul lets us know that it's not the judgment that compels us. He lets us know that it is the love of Christ that compels us. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14, our theme verse for this entire series on missions, Paul says this. He says, the love of Christ compels us. In other words, his love in us flows through us, causing us to do everything we can to reach others with the good news, with the love, with the forgiveness of Christ. Now what is it that, that Christ's love compels us to do as we're seeking to reach them for Christ? Well, I want you to pull out your, your com commitment card if, if you've got it. You should have received one when you came in. But I want you to pull it out because we believe that there are really four things as, as people who are part of the Northside family should do, we should be compelled to do 
because of our love for Christ. Now, if you're not a part of the Northside family yet, I want you to listen closely because you need to understand if you're thinking about Northside being your church home and everyone needs a church home. If you're thinking about Northside being your church home, you need to understand what's important to us. You need to understand what drives us. And it's the love of Christ that drives us for a lost world that is without him. And we believe that that love compels us, drives us, urges us from deep within to do four things. First of all, it it compels us to give. To give sacrificially, to give it above and beyond what we already give through our tithes and offerings to reach a lost world. Now, Now our church already does maybe more than most churches through our budget to reach a lost world. We do a lot of things. But we believe that our mission is so vital that we ask you to give above and beyond what you already give to our budget offering, to our unified budget to help us reach a lost world for Christ. Now, why is that? Because the world is lost. There are 6,000 unreached, unengaged people groups in the world who have never heard about Jesus. No one is working among over 3,000 of them to reach them with the good news of God's love and God's forgiveness. And we believe that it is our responsibility to do all that we can to reach them. And so we ask you to give sacrificially above and beyond to help us do that. If you got our our global missions budget, you will see this year is about $125,000. That's not a lot. The truth is we need a lot more than that. But that's our, our 2016 budget. And, and you can look and see what it's helping us do to, to reach mission, to, to support missionaries all around the world and to, to, um, to um, reach unreached, unengaged people groups all around the world and to minister to people even at our back door. And so we give. The second thing that we ask you to do is we ask you to pray. We ask you to pray specifically for the lost, for those who are not yet reached. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Paul says this. He says, before anything else, I urge you, first of all, to pray for everyone. And then Paul says this. He says, this is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. And so Paul says, I want you to pray for everyone, and the reason I want you to pray for everyone is because it pleases God if everyone is saved. Now, God's Word is very clear there. God's Word lets us know that He is concerned about all the lost people in the world, and and we should be praying for them. Therefore, we as a church family should be praying for other churches around the world that are spreading the gospel. We should be praying for missionaries by name that are spreading the gospel. And we should be praying for the lost around the world. Those we know personally, individually, and those we don't know personally and individually. Sometimes we may just be praying for a, an entire group of people like the Iban people in North Africa, Middle East, or the Avadi people in India. But we pray for those who are lost. Now what are three specific ways that you can get involved? Number one, you can pray for your neighbors. I mean, you can adopt them. You can commit to pray for your neighbors. 
those neighbors that are on the left, those neighbors that are on the right, those neighbors that are in front of you. You make a list, you find out what their needs are, you get to know them, and you begin to pray for them. The second thing that you can do is you can begin to prayer walk your neighborhood. If we really believe that God moves in response to prayer, then why shouldn't we regularly, consistently be walking through our neighborhoods asking God to move in the lives of the people that live closest to us? And while you're doing it, you'll be getting some exercise, amen? I mean, that's a win. I mean, you're not only praying, but you're burning calories and you're getting healthy. And so you prayer walk. And then the third thing you can do is get involved in a ministry that we're starting next month. And that's our monthly missional praying. And every month, both online and out front, we're going to be giving you a calendar where every day we're asking you to pray for one specific missional evangelistic need. It may be for the Iban people. It, it may be for your lost neighbor by name. It may be for a specific missionary or church planner. It may be for a, a city in North America that desperately needs a church there. But every day, we're going to be asking you to commit to pray for one specific missional or evangelistic prayer. Not everybody can do that, can't they? I mean, pray one thing. A day, seven days a week, every day of the month, just one thing. And, and so we're asking you to do that. So you give, you pray, and then you care. When you care, you're moving from simply praying to putting feet on your prayers. When you care, your care is the love of Christ in action flowing through you. You're meeting needs in Jesus' name. And, and we talked about this last week. We talked about some of the things that we are doing as a church with, with Mission Columbia, with our relief efforts to those who have been flooded out, with our Thanksgiving baskets, with Food from the Heart, with, with our Good Samaritan Medical Clinic, and on and on we can go. But, but we want to be a church that cares for the hurting and the lost in our community and around the world. And so I, I, we're asking you to, to look at this list and, and say, how can I care? What are some things that I can do? But we don't only want you to care collectively with us. We want you to care individually. And so as you're praying for those neighbors that are closest to you, care for them. Take them a meal when they're sick. Cut their grass. Get to know them, help them, care for them in Jesus' name. Because that will open up doors of opportunity for you to do the final thing that we believe the love of Christ compels us to do. See, the love of Christ compels us to give, it compels us to pray, it compels us to care. But finally, the love of Christ compels us to share the good news. That's what we're called to do. Before Jesus returned to heaven... Some of the very last words he said to his disciples were, go and make disciples of all nations. He said that to, to those who were around him, but the you there, you go and make disciples, means that he's not just saying that to, to the 11 that were there with him as he was returning to heaven. It was said to each and every one of us who call ourselves Christ followers. 
Listen very carefully. There's no way that you can read through the Word of God and yet miss the fact that Jesus has given us a mission. A mission in this world, and that mission is to make disciples by sharing the good news with everyone. And if you're a Christ follower, that's why you're still here. God didn't leave you here on planet earth to see it. He left you here. He saved you to share. That's the only reason you're not with him. Now, I know you don't understand this perhaps, and and I know you, you know it up here in your head, but you don't know it in your heart. But heaven, the presence of God, is going to be far better than anything that we've got right now. I mean, what God has prepared for us, is so much better than what we have. The Bible says, I hath not seen the eye, hath not seen the ear, hath not heard, neither has it entered into the imagination of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. I mean, what God has in store for us is amazing. And so the only reason God left us here on planet earth among those who have not yet received his love is so that you and I can share that love with those who have not yet received it. And God has positioned you, God has placed you in a unique place so that you can reach certain people. Let me say that again. God has positioned you as a Christ follower and you has placed you where you are so that you can reach certain people. Now Paul understood that. When he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, everything changed in his life. He understood that from that point on, he was given a mission. He was given a purpose, and and that mission and that purpose was going to drive everything that he did. I want you to listen to what he said in Acts 20, if you turn there. It's Acts 20, verse 24. Listen to what it says. I don't care about my own life. The most important thing is that I complete my mission, the work that the Lord Jesus gave me. And what is that mission? What is that work? To tell people the good news about God's grace. You see, Paul lived by three key truths. The first one is this. It's not about me. Now, don't miss what he said. He said, I don't care about my own life. The NIV, that translation says, I consider my life worth nothing. You see, the number one thing that keeps us from sharing our faith with others is the belief that life is all about us. It's about our comfort, it's about our health, it's about our happiness. But Paul said, you need to understand life's not about you. Contrary to what most people in the world think, the world doesn't revolve around us. We aren't the center of the universe. Everything, absolutely everything was created to bring glory to God. Do you understand that? Yes, God loves you. Yes, God wants you to be happy. Yes, it would make God happy if if everything went great in your life and you had no distractions and no problems and no pain but but this is a sin-filled world and God's number one desire isn't to make you happy God's number one desire is to make you holy so that you will bring glory to his name it's not about you 
And once you understand that life is not about you, then you will get to that point when, where you quit focusing on yourself and you discover that, that God's got something more important for you to do. So it's not about you. The second key truth is this. We've been given a job. We've been given a mission. Paul said it this way. He said, the most important thing I do is to complete the mission, the work the Lord Jesus gave me. Now, don't miss this. The mission was given by Jesus himself. It was given by the commander-in-chief. Imagine. Imagine a soldier being called into the commander-in-chief's office, the president. And he sits down in the Oval Office and the president himself says, Here's a mission that I'm giving you. It's vital that you complete it. It's one thing for us to be given a mission down the pipeline through a general, through, through an admiral, through, through a captain, through a lieutenant, through a sergeant, through whatever. It's, it's one thing for us to receive a mission from, from that person that is directly over us, but, but the mission that we've been given was given to us by none other than Jesus himself. And notice what he said. Don't miss this. You need to write it down. He said, our mission is to tell people the good news of God's grace. That's the mission that you and I have been given. It's Paul's mission, it's my mission, it's your mission, it's the mission of every single Christian to tell people the good news of God's grace. That there is forgiveness, that there is mercy, that there is love found at the cross. That even though our sins have separated us from God, and even though we know there's something wrong and, and we feel alienated from our Creator, we can be redeemed, we can be restored. There's grace, there's hope. And that's the message we share. And then the third key truth that Paul lived his life by is this. Nothing, absolutely nothing is more important than the mission. All that I am, all that I have should be given willingly to accomplish the mission, even my own life. Paul said, the most important thing I do while we're here on planet Earth, there is nothing more important for us to do than to tell others that forgiveness is available. There's nothing more important than that. And if you've experienced the grace and the mercy of God in a personal, life-changing way, you understand that. You may not be obedient to it right now. You may not be doing it, but, but if you've discovered firsthand the forgiveness of God, then deep down inside, you know You've got to know that the most important thing in your life is to share that forgiveness, that mercy, that grace with a world that desperately needs to hear. And so in light of that, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. And I want us to answer three key questions about our mission to share the good news. And this is a familiar passage. It's a passage very similar to, to the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And you may say that, that why is, are these words different? Because in Matthew 28, Jesus said, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptize them. 
in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yet here, he says something a little bit different. In Luke's gospel, he says something a little bit different. In Mark's gospel, he says something a little bit different. Is it because they, the disciples who wrote these gospels really don't know what he said and they were just guessing? Well, that may be what some people believe, but I don't think that's what it is. I think that as Jesus was getting ready to return into heaven, he repeated the mission over and over and over again. And the reason he did that is because he wanted them to remember it. He didn't want them to forget it. You, you say, well, I don't understand. Well, let me give you an example. Here's what I know. When you walk out of here this morning and you go home, if I call you tomorrow and I ask you, what were the key points I brought out in my message? Not the whole message. Just give me the key points. And you don't have your note sheet filled in in front of you. You're probably going to be saying, what in the world did he talk about yesterday? And you may say, I won't do that. No, that's not me. Yes, you will. I mean, I get into the car with my wife. And I say, how was the message? Yeah, I, I asked that question. And she said, it was great. I say, well, what was great about it? And she'll, you know, sometimes give me a generic thing. And I'll say, well, what were my main points? And then she'll hit me. <laughs> you, you see, I, I understand that, that we are people who forget, don't we? We forget things. We forget things quickly. And, and so Jesus told us over and over and over again, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach the forgiveness of sins to all people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to receive power, and then you will be my witnesses. And over and over, he told them what he wanted them to do once he returned to heaven. And I want you to listen to what he said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says this. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem and, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Then I believe that that verse right there answers three key questions for us. The first question is this. Who is to share? Who is to share this good news? And the answer is everyone. Which means me and it means you. Jesus said this. He said you will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Now the word he uses there is a plural form of you. He was speaking to everyone. Everyone who is a Christ follower is to be a witness. If you want to know how God intends to reach a lost world, all you need to do is go home, look in the mirror, and you will discover how God plans to reach the lost world. If you don't do it, it won't be done. There are people that God has positioned you to reach. There are people that God has placed in your life to reach. And if you do not reach them, they may not be reached. It is vital, it is important that we realize that God has called us 
each of us to share the good news. Now, nobody can win everybody, but here's what I know. Everybody who is willing to learn can win somebody. And if we nobodies will tell everybody about the somebody that can save them, then the world will come to know Jesus. I want you to listen to what it says in a couple of places. You can write these verses down. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you were the ones chosen by God to do his work, to speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made in your life. You are the ones chosen by God. You are the ones that he has brought to tell people the night and day difference that he's made in your life. Peter was writing that to the church, not to a church, but to the church. We are the chosen ones. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 19 and 20, Paul said this, God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We are Christ's representatives. It's you and I who have been called by the master to tell others the good news of Jesus. That's what the woman at the well did. When she came to realize who Jesus was in John chapter 4, the Bible tells us that she went into her town and said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this not be the Christ? The Bible says that because of her testimony, they believed. That's what the demon-possessed man did in Mark chapter 5. He, he wanted to follow Jesus. He wanted to get on the boat and go with Jesus' disciples. But Jesus said, go back to your town and tell people what I have done for you. And it says that he went back and the people were amazed. And that is what you were to do. Unfortunately, most of us may give. If we move beyond that, we may pray. We may care but we don't share. I mean, the truth of the matter is, the overwhelming majority of believers never share the good news with a single person. They, they never do. And yet, the Word of God is crystal clear that that's what we're called to do. And here's what you need to understand. If I don't share, I am living in disobedience. Now, and you may say, well, Rocky, I want to share, but I'm afraid to share. I don't know how to share. Well, listen to the first part of Acts 1-8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, I'm going to give you the power to share. When we're saved and God's Holy Spirit comes to live on us, we, we naturally have a desire to share that with other people. But he not only gives us a desire, he gives us the power to share it. Because in the end, you need to understand, it's not about how eloquent you are in your presentation. It's about the power of God working through you to connect someone to Jesus. And so who is to share? Everyone. That includes me. That includes you. That includes all of us who carry the name of Christ. Second question, where are we to share? Well, the answer to that question is everywhere, which includes right here. Jesus said that you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, 
to the ends of the earth. Now, we're to first of all share with our community. That was their Jerusalem. That's where Jesus spoke these words. He was saying, start right where you are. For us, he would be saying, I want you to start sharing in the Midlands. Share in Lexington, share in West Columbia, share in Irmo, share in Columbia. Wherever you live, begin sharing there. You see, our mission begins right here in our schools, in our neighborhoods, where we shop, where we work. We're responsible for sharing with our community. And hear me, we are accountable to God for sharing in our community. Let me say it again. Our primary responsibility before we do anything else is to share right here. And if we're not sharing right here, seeking to reach our community, seeking to reach our city, we have no right to call ourselves mission-minded. No matter how much we give, no matter how much we pray. If we're not sharing the good news right here, we shouldn't call ourselves mission-minded. Some of us have this idea that, that to be a missionary, we need to get on a plane, go across an ocean, and... And, and share with people that speak a different language and look different than we do. And yet you need to understand that if you're not being a missionary here, then you don't have a right to be a missionary there. Dale Moody was once on a train, and he happened to be sitting across from a young man who was bubbling over with excitement and Dale Moody looked at the young man and said, where are you headed, son? And the young man said, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to Africa, and I'm going to win the loss to Jesus. Dale Moody said, well, let me ask you a question. How many people have you brought to Jesus at home? And the young man said, well, I've never won anybody at home. Dale Moody said, son, let me tell you something. You're not a missionary. You're a sightseer. And understand, if we're not reaching our community, we have no right to go somewhere else and try to reach other communities. So we reach our community. Next, we reach our community, our, our country. That's what Judea and Samaria was. It was their homeland, and we are responsible for reaching North America. In May, I will be leading with, with another pastor, a team of pastors going to Salt Lake City, to look at planting churches in one of the most unreached cities of North America. It's a city that, that we know of as, as the capital of Mormonism. But you would be surprised to realize that Salt Lake City doesn't have a real large Mormon population. People who are practicing Mormonism. Utah, the state does when you get out into the rural areas. But Salt Lake City is much like many of the megacities of our nation. They're pagan. They're lost. The people don't believe anything. And the vast majority of people there are unchurched. And it's, and it's one of the key cities. We as Southern Baptists have said we have got to reach these megacities if we're going to reach the people of America. Did you know the fastest growing religion in America today is Islam? Did you know that? Did you know that statistics say over 200 million people in America are lost without Christ? 
the overwhelming majority of our population. We've got to reach our country. We're not a Christian nation. We call ourselves that. We love to quote, in God we trust. We, we have all of these smooth slogans and sayings, but we're not a Christian nation. We can't say that. The United States has the fourth largest unreached population in the world. The fourth largest. We've got to reach our community, we've got to reach our country, and we've got to reach our world. I read years ago about a missionary that was riding from Manchuria, and he told us in a display by Standard Oil in this, in this country, and on the display was this slogan, get the light to every dark corner of the world. And that's exactly what God has called us to do, to get the light to every dark corner. And, and we're seeking to do that as a church by partnering with our international mission board. But, but it would break your heart to know that because of a, a depletion of funds, over 1,000 missionary personnel in the last several months have come home. 900 from overseas, over 300 that worked in state to support our missionaries. Over 1,000, almost 25% of our missionary personnel have taken early retirement or resigned. And yet the world is lost. We've got to do better. And we've got to realize that, that even if we doubled or quadrupled or, or exponentially gave more to, to international missions through the cooperative program and, and through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering to support foreign missions, even if we did that, we wouldn't have the resources to send all the missionaries that need to be sent. And so what are we going to do? We're going to do what we're doing. We're going to say we're going to continue to give our money to to our international mission board and we're going to try to do it more and more and more but as we do that we're going to partner and take responsibility as a church we're going to say we as a church we're going to take ownership of this people group and we're going to have it as our responsibility to reach them and just think if 3,000 churches would say of those people groups where there isn't a missionary, we'll raise the funds. We'll support them. We as a church will pray for them. We would have missionaries among all those unreached, unengaged peoples. Now, in every church of every size doesn't have the ability to do that. But we can. And we will. We're called to go. We're called to go to our, our community. We're called to go to our country. We're called to go to the ends of the world and share the good news. But we just don't do it through giving our money. We do it through mission trips, like the one that we will be commissioning next Sunday that will be going to India. We've got teams to, that go to Haiti and to Nicaragua and to, to Chile and, and, and a number of places. We support missionaries from our church in Turkey and Japan and, and in Haiti and other places. People who have said, from our church, we believe God's calling us and we've got to go. And I believe God is calling some of you. He's definitely calling you to go short term. I believe that he may be calling some of you to go full term, full time. 
And, and if he is, you, you know whether there's something deep down stirring in your heart, and in your soul right now, that you can't just get away from. So who is to go? Everyone, that includes me, that includes you, includes everybody. Where are we to go? We're to go everywhere. We're, we're to go and share in our community. We're to share in our country. We're to share in our world. But finally, what are we to share? We're to share the good news. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses. I want you to notice this is important. He didn't say, you'll be my defense attorney. God doesn't need defending. He didn't say, you're going to be my prosecutor, prosecuting the people who are lost. He didn't even say, you're going to be my salesman, trying to sell the good news to people. No, he said, you'll be my witness. Now, you know what a witness is? A witness is someone who simply tells what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've experienced. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want you to be my witness. I want you to tell the world what you have seen, what you have heard, what you've experienced through me. And can I tell you, you've got a unique story that no one else has. It may be similar to other people's stories, but, but yours is different. Yours is unique because you're unique. And so how are we to be a witness? Well, we're to be a witness by sharing our story. Can I give you the three parts of your story? You need to learn to share your story in three minutes or less. The first part is your life before you accepted Christ. You occasionally hear people say, well, I've always been a Christian. Nobody's always been a Christian. There's a point in time where we acknowledge our sin, we humble ourselves before a holy God, and we receive his forgiveness. So what was your life like before you accepted Christ? How I accepted Christ. What were the circumstances that surrounded it? And then the difference Christ has made in my life. You need to learn how to share your story. Let me give you mine briefly in about 45 seconds to a minute. If going to church and religion could save you, I'd have been saved when I was born. Because my dad's a pastor, my mom, she's one of the most godly women I know. And from day one of coming from the hospital, coming home from the hospital, I was in church. Not on Sunday morning, I was there Sunday night, Sunday, Wednesday night, and every special event. That was when we had church a lot, and I was there. I learned the Bible stories, I could sing the songs, I knew it all, but something was missing in my life. All of the knowledge I had about God and about Jesus in my head didn't change me. There was something missing. And one day I was sitting in church, and for the very first time in my life, it seems like the words that were being preached were being spoken to me. And I know that sounds strange, but, but that's how it was. And when, when he talked about us being lost, I realized I was lost. I was a sinner. And he talked about Jesus dying on the cross, and I realized Jesus died on the cross not for the world. He died on the cross for me. And I was told how I could simply humble myself and trust Jesus to be my Savior give my life to him, and that's what I wanted to do. And, and when the end of the service came where I was given the opportunity to do that, man, I did it as quick as I could, and with brokenness, with tears coming down my eyes, and maybe because I'm just an emotional person, I just prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me and to save me. And, and let me tell you, he saved me. He changed me. My life hadn't been perfect since then. I've had many ups and many downs, and that's kind of how my life has been. There are times when, when it almost seemed like I'd turn my back on Jesus, but he never turned his back on me. 
And I've discovered that with Jesus, I have peace and joy and happiness that this world could never give. I have a home in heaven waiting for me. He's given me a purpose for life. And I can tell you that, that Jesus is better than anything that this world has to offer. I mean, that's my story. If you're saved, you've got a story. If you don't have a story about God's redemption, then you really need to ask yourself this morning, are you saved? So we share our story, but we also share the Bible story. And the Bible story is, is as simple as ABC. It really is. You see, God loves us and God created us for a relationship with him, but, but it doesn't take long walking on planet Earth to realize that something went wrong. And so how is that relationship restored with God? There are three things. You can learn how to share this. The first one is you've got to admit that you've got a problem you can't solve. That problem is sin. The Bible says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. It says no one is righteous, not even one. We're told our very best efforts are like filthy rags. There's nothing you can do to please a holy God on your own. If you think you're going to stand before God one day and say, look at me, aren't you proud? You've got another thing coming. You've got to admit you've got a problem. That problem is sin. That problem has alienated you from God. It's separated you from God. And when you realize that problem, look at me, listen to me, that problem will break you. Do you hear me? Are you connecting? I mean, when you really do understand you've got a sin problem, You'll be broken by it. It'll humble you. So you've got to admit that you've got a problem. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth to solve your problem. That's why he came. Jesus Christ came to this earth to die on a cross in your place so that you could be forgiven. So that the relationship could be restored. And what you have to do is you have to place your faith, your belief in him. But that's not just believing with your head. It's believing with your heart. It's trusting him to save you. It's trusting him to guide you. And that leads to the third thing. You've got to commit your life to him. The Apostle Paul said this. He said, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from, Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. You confess with your mouth what? Jesus is Lord. He's your master. You believe in your heart. What? God raised him from the dead. You believe with your heart, not your head. Why your heart? Because when you believe with your heart, it will change you. And so before we go any further, I've got to ask you a question. As we wrap this up, I've got to ask you a question. I know we're talking missions, but, but if you're here and you don't have a story, if you're here and, and you haven't admitted your sin problem in brokenness before God, you haven't trusted Christ to save you, you haven't committed your life to Him, then the most important thing you can do this morning is to give your heart and life to Jesus. So this is what I want you to do before we go any further and we wrap this up. I want you to bow your head. And if you're here and, and you know, and, and, and I'm speaking to those that know, if you know in your heart that you haven't really done this. You've never come to Jesus broken over your sin. You've never trusted Christ alone to save you. You've never committed your life to him. Then I want to encourage you this morning to pray this prayer to him right now. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now acknowledging I am a sinner. 
please forgive me. I don't want to live under sin anymore. I want you to save me. I believe you came to this earth. You died on a cross. You rose from the grave to pay for my sins. I'm trusting you to save me, to forgive me, to lead me, take control of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. Amen.